The following audio is from City Rev Church. For more information about City Rev Church, visit us online at cityrev.org. There was an image that was surfacing on the internet a few months ago, and when I first saw it, I had the same reaction that uh, most people that saw it online had, and just total confusion. I'm like, what am I, what is it that I'm looking at? And it was just so like, like, shocking, difficult to understand that it actually got coverage on the news. Like the news was actually talking about the impact that this photo had. And it's just, as people were commenting like, oh wow, what a strange optical illusion. And I'm just staring at this picture like, how is this an optical illusion? I just don't understand what is happening in this photo. Maybe some of you saw this. It was just a a photo that a a mom uh, took of her daughter and what came out was just so strange. Here's the photo, check this out. Uh, Maybe you saw this online. I remember looking at this photo, I'm like, is the, what is happening? Like, is the girl like stuck in concrete? Like, what's going on with this photo? I don't understand. And people are like, wow, what a strange optical illusion this is. And I'm like, okay, I, I gotta understand. Like, I'm scrolling down in the comments and people are like, oh, she's standing behind a wall. And I'm like, a wall? What do you mean she's standing by the wall? There's, it's grass, a sidewalk, and the girl is stuck in the middle of the sidewalk. What is this wall that they see? And I just kept staring at this for like 10 minutes, 15 minutes. I could not see anything other than this girl stuck in the concrete. And if some of you are like still like, yeah, I'm, some of you may, oh, wait, I see it. Or some of you are like, oh, I can kind of see it. If you're still stuck, like I had, someone had to actually draw this. I had to find this image to help me. So go to, to the next uh, slide. There's a wall, okay, and like there's the grass. It goes to the wall. It drops. Then there's this other level of sidewalk that, that you can see, but it's at a, another level. But when you look at it from the angle of the camera, it just looks like it's one sidewalk all together and the girl is stuck in the middle, okay? Now, some of you are even looking at this and you're like, I still can't see it, okay? <laughs> I don't know how to help you, all right? At this point, just find a trusted friend, okay? I don't know how to help you at this point, all right? Because I'm, I'm, I'm barely explaining it myself. Okay, but some of you now see, like, oh, I see the wall. So go back to the original picture, okay? And now that I can see, like, once someone explained it to me, I could see the wall, like, so clearly, and I'm like, why was that so hard for me to see? And now when I show someone else, I'm like, it's so obvious. She's just, they're just two different levels. How could I not see it? Okay, like, that was... That was the, the feeling I had. And now since then, like I've shown other people, like, have you seen this? And they go, what's wrong with that little girl? Okay, and I'm like, I know. But when I show it to them, like once I've seen it, like I can't unsee it, like I can't not see it. You know what I'm talking about? Like once I see it for what it actually is, the illusion of what I thought it was, it seems so obvious that it was an illusion. Like I can't, it's almost hard for me to go back and see it the way I used to see it. Like something so fundamentally trans, transformed in the way I view that particular image that I can't, I can't unsee it at this point. And I bring this up because there's something that the Bible speaks to us. It's God speaking to us. There's something that the Bible wants to transform how we see it. There's a part of our our life. 
He wants to shift how we look at it. Like we're looking at it like this and it seems so natural, so understandable. Of course, that's the way I'd see it. But he wants to completely transform how we see it. And once he makes that transformation, it's like we can't unsee it that way. We actually, it's like hard to actually go back. Like when we see it differently now, it really rearranges how we engage that part of our life. Specifically, what I'm talking about is how we view our city. We fundamentally, we see it one way. It's natural to see it one way. It's the way maybe everyone first sees the city, but we have like an, an encounter that shifts how we see the city. And once we shift and see the city that way, it's like we can't go back. It like so shifts how we see it. Now you may be saying, look, um, okay, that's good. That's interesting. You know, I, I want to know that, but man, that, that's not like the most pressing thing on my mind right now. I've got so many other pressing things that I've, I've got going in my life. I've got job stuff. I've got finance stuff. I've got health stuff. I've got relationship stuff. I've got family stuff. And here's what I, I want to share with you, when I, especially when we walk through this passage. This shift affects every single aspect of your life. This shift actually, it plays out in such a way that it's addressing those most fundamental questions that you walked into this space asking today. I want you to go to a passage of scripture with me. It's uh, John chapter four. There are some of you who are gonna hear this and it's the first time you've ever heard this story and I am so excited for you because man, this is one of the most beautiful, moving, stirring encounters that Jesus ever had in his ministry. Others of you have maybe heard this story before, and if you have, you know that this story is so profound. It's one of those passages that shows off something about the Bible. You can never get to the depths and the, to the bottom of the Bible. It is so rich. The, the longer, the more years that go by that, that I study the Bible, the more profound it is to me, the more awestruck I am by how unbelievably rich and layered the scripture is, how deep it is, how profound the word that God speaks to us is. And so if you're encountering this story again, I want you to hear it with fresh eyes today. I want you to, I want you to, to see it with fresh eyes. I want you to hear it like it's the first time you've heard it today. Here's the context. Jesus and his disciples are traveling from Galilee down to Judea. Galilee is at the, at the uh, top of uh, the nation of Israel. It is where you have cities like Capernaum, Cana, Nazareth. Those cities are around the Sea of Galilee. That's where Jesus' main headquarters are. Judea is in the south. It's where cities like Bethany, Bethlehem, and especially Jerusalem, those are in the south. In the middle is an area called Samaria. Those are cities where people called the Samaritans live. And in this time in history, the Jewish people and the Samaritans are very, very hostile with each other. They are bitter enemies, bitter rivals. They say really terrible things about each other. And they, they both fundamentally believe in at least the first five books of the Bible, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. They, they both groups believe in those first five books of the Bible, but they vary in how they worship and they debate theologically, culturally, politically. They're just enemies. And so when really 
pious, holy, righteous Jews traveling from Galilee down to Jerusalem, when they would travel south, they would go around Samaria to not even step foot in any of the cities or even the region. But when Jesus is traveling, he takes his disciples straight through Samaria. And he's going to stop at a well outside a Samaritan city. And it's in the middle of the day, it's, it's noon, and the disciples go into the city to find lunch. And Jesus has an encounter with someone. Let's pick it up in verse 7. John chapter 4, we're going to pick it up at verse 7. A woman from Samaria came to draw water. Jesus said to her, give me a drink, for his disciples had gone away into the city to buy food. The Samaritan woman said to him, how is it that you, a Jew, ask for a drink from me, a woman of Samaria? For Jews have no dealings with Samaritans. Jesus answered her, if you knew the gift of God and who it is that is saying to you, Give me a drink. You would have asked him, and he would have given you living water. The woman said to him, Sir, you have nothing to draw water with, and the well is deep. Where do you get that living water? Are you greater than our father Jacob? He gave us the well and drank from it himself, as did his sons and his livestock. Jesus said to her, Everyone who drinks of this water will be thirsty again, but whoever drinks of the water that I will give him will never be thirsty again. The water that I will give him will become in him a spring of water welling up to eternal life. The woman said to him, Sir, give me this water so that I will not be thirsty or have to come here to draw water. Now pause with me here for a second. Let's just kind of recap this engagement. Jesus uh, stops at this well outside of Samaria. He tells the other 12 disciples and anyone else who's with him, hey, um, go into the city and um, find some food. I'm going to stay here at the well. And that in and of itself, the disciples are probably looking at him confused. They don't want to go into that city. And especially they don't want to go into that city to find food. One of the fundamental reasons they would not go through Samaria is for kosher reasons. Anything that, they, that a Samaritan touched became unclean. He's given them a very difficult task. They go into the city and leave Jesus there alone because Jesus has an appointment with someone. An appointment that that person doesn't even know it's an appointment yet. Jesus is waiting there by the well and this woman comes at noon to draw water. Now, a couple things we already know. She's alone, and it's in the middle of the day. That is not the time that a woman would nor nor normally come to a well to draw water. She'd go in the morning or in the evening when it's cooler, not in the middle of the day. That would be a very difficult chore in the middle of the day, carrying a large uh, jug of water all the way to the well, do all the hard work of filling up that jug of water and carrying it all the way back. That would be very hard work to do in the blazing sun. Also, it's not something that this woman culturally would have done alone. That communicates to us something about this Samaritan woman. She's an outcast. And we're going to find out most likely why she's isolated and alone in just a moment in this conversation that Jesus has with her. As she approaches the well, she's probably looking sideways at this Jewish man. She would have been able to tell by how he's dressed that he's not a Samaritan man. 
She would have been, she sees this Jewish man and she's shocked that he speaks to her. Jesus is shattering all kinds of social norms in this conversation. He says, um, can you draw me some water to drink? And she says, uh, I am shocked you're even speaking to me. And he says, if you knew who was speaking to you, you'd be asking me for living water. She says, well, that's interesting because you didn't bring anything to draw water with. Says, are you better than our father Jacob? Remember, both Samaritans and Jewish people would trace themselves back to Jacob because they all believe in the first five books of the Bible. Are you better than our father uh, Jacob? And then Jesus says, if anyone drinks of the water that I will give them, their thirst will be so deeply quenched because they'll have a fountain of living water welling up down in their souls. They will never thirst again. Now we're gonna see that this woman, she's sharp. She's staying engaged, curious in this conversation, but um, she's not buying it. Because I think what she says is sarcastic. She says, oh, please, by all means, I would love some of this living water. Because then I wouldn't have to, I mean, imagine that. If I walked around with living water, I wouldn't have to keep coming back to this well over and over. This is hard work. You can see I've, I've got a sweat here, and I'd love to not have to just keep coming back to this well uh, over and over and over. So, yeah, please give me some of this living water. Quench my thirst permanently. That'd be great. But Jesus is talking about something far more profound than physical thirst. He's talking about the deep thirst we have down in our souls. So where's Jesus gonna go next? You've gotta watch this here. Jesus is brilliant. And, and he's, he just handles this conversation with such gentleness, but just so much power. Look what he says next. He's gonna to reveal to her what her thirst is that he's talking about. Let's pick it up in verse 16. Jesus said, her, said to her, go call your husband and come here. The woman answered him, I have no husband. Jesus said to her, you are right in saying I have no husband for you have had five husbands and the one you now have is not your husband. What you've said is true. So here's what I want you to see. Pause there for just a second. We'll get right back to how the Samaritan woman responds, but I want you to see what he's doing. She's saying, oh, for sure, quench my thirst. And so then Jesus is saying, okay, let's talk about the thirst I'm referring to. He gets right to the core issue of where she's been going. She's got a, a, a craving deep down, a craving, maybe it's to belong to someone. Maybe it's to be known by someone. Maybe it's to find significance in someone else's eyes. Maybe it's to find someone who knows her and actually truly loves her. And so she's gone from relationship to relationship to relationship to relationship to relationship. She's had five marriages. They've all fallen apart, but she's just so desperate, so craving, so, so thirsting for that kind of significance in someone's eyes that she's just tried again. And she's now in a relationship. She's not even married, but she's living in this relationship. It's most likely why, because She's notorious. It's most likely why she's there in the middle of the day all alone. Jesus has gotten right to the core of her story, right to the core of where her thirst is. 
That's the well she's labored to go back to over and over and over. She's gone to a relationship. She's been heartbroken. But she picks up the jug again, and she just goes back into a relationship, hoping it's different this time, hoping she finds satisfaction significant this time. And she gets to the well. But this time, that, again, that relationship breaks her heart. Now she's even more broken, more thirsty. And then she walks back to the well again. Five times she's going. Now she's on her sixth trip back to that well. And Jesus says, let's deal with the thirst inside your heart. So he puts his finger right on, the, right on the issue. What is she gonna say? She's savvy. Let's pick it up in verse 19. The woman said to him, Sir, I perceive that you are a prophet. Our fathers worshiped on this mountain, but you say that in Jerusalem is the place where people ought to worship. Now just hold it right there. Do you see what she did? She can't deny what what he's saying is true. He has miraculous knowledge into her life. And she's beginning to realize this is not an ordinary person. But what is she doing? She's quickly getting the attention off of herself and she's raising the the most combative issue between Jews and Samaritans. She's throwing up something to just get the attention off her. Oh, yeah, uh, let's talk about the mountain. Which is the real mountain? Is it the mountain we worship on or is it Mount Zion? Uh, Yeah, yeah, which mountain is it? She's trying to to get Jesus to bite on a separate conversation to get the attention off herself. Do you see what she's doing here? Look, Look what Jesus says. Let's keep going. Verse 21, Jesus said to her, woman, believe me, the hour is coming when neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem will you worship the Father. You, will wor- you worship what you do not know. We worship what we know, for salvation is from the Jews. But the hour is coming and is now here when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth. For the Father is seeking such people to worship him. God is spirit, and those who worship him must worship in spirit and in truth. The woman said to him, I know that Messiah is coming, he who is called Christ. When he comes, he will tell us all things. Jesus said to her, I who speaking to you am he. Pause with me. Jesus doesn't often in his ministry just come right out and say it. I mean, and he had a lot to manage. I mean, he had to keep riots from breaking out. So he doesn't, he's managing and bringing them along. He doesn't often come right out and say it. But I want you to see who he chose to come right out and say it to. Who did he choose to say, I'm the Messiah. I'm the one the world's been waiting for. It was a a, a woman, a Samaritan woman, a notorious Samaritan woman, an isolated and alone and shamed notorious Samaritan woman. And he said, that's the one. 
That's who your Jesus is. He said that I am the Messiah. I, who am speaking to you, am he. But here's what you need to see. He's already, she's thinking he's a prophet. She's getting the sense that he's the Messiah. He affirms that he's the Messiah. But you, you gotta hear how he actually says it in the original Greek. Because he says more in that than we can capture in the English. He says more than I'm the Messiah. Here's what he actually says in the Greek. He says, I am is speaking to you. What does she know as a Samaritan woman who, like a Jewish person, has heard the Pentateuch, has heard about Moses when he stands before the burning bush and the voice of God comes out of the burning bush and says, you Moses, you go into, back into your hometown, go back into Egypt and stand before Pharaoh and you give the testimony that I give for you to share. And he says, okay, um, who are, who shall I say? They've got so many gods. Who should I say is sending me back into my home city, back into the, 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 the capital of Egypt, back into the, the power center and all of its darkness? Who should I say is sending me? And God's voice thunders from a consuming fire that at the same time is holding the bush alive. And out of that, that fire thunders the name that echoes through all of the scripture. I am is sending you. Tell them the God whose name is I am. The God who is the existent one. In other words, all of the other gods are not. All of the other gods are false. They're fake. They're statues. They're imagination. They're false gods. But the one who is, the one who makes everything else be in existence, the I am, the source of existence, I am is sending you. And so here is this woman at this well out in the wilderness and she's having an encounter with someone who's the Messiah, but this Messiah is not just a prophet, he's not just a deliverer like God has raised up before. No, now the great I am is on the scene. She's asking essentially the same question Moses asked, who, who are you? The I am is talking to you. Now watch what happens next. Let's finish up the story. Let's pick it up in verse 28. So the woman left her water jar and went away into town and said to the people, Come see a man who told me all that I ever did. Can this be the Christ? They went out of the town and were coming to him. Meanwhile, the disciples were urging him, saying, Rabbi, eat. But he said to them, I have food to eat that you do not know about. So the disciples said to one another, has anyone brought him something to eat? And Jesus said to them, my food is to do the will of him who sent me and to accomplish his work. Do you not say there are yet four months, then comes the harvest. Look, I tell you, lift up your eyes and see that the fields are white for harvest. 
already. The one who reaps is receiving wages and gathering fruit for eternal life so that sower and reaper may rejoice together. For here the saying holds true, one sows and another reaps. I sent you to reap that for which you did not labor. Others have labored and have entered into their labor. Many Samaritans from that town believed in him because of the woman's testimony. He told me all that I ever did. You know, this passage keeps referencing her town. The Greek word there is polis, which is where we get our word city. Many of our cities, Annapolis, Indianapolis, Minneapolis, comes from that Greek word polis, which means city. What did this woman do? She stood there before the I am, and then she left and went into her city, and she told them, come and see the one who told me all that I ever did. Isn't that an interesting phrase? Jesus didn't like roll out like a list and just go down. When you were in third grade, you did this and this and this, and you know, don't think I didn't see what you did last week when you were driving in traffic. It wasn't that. He got to the core of who she was, where her thirst was, because that was the pulse in her heart driving everything else she did. He exposed that craving and that thirsting that she had and quenched it with the living water, the presence of the Messiah, God in the flesh. He quenched that and and there's something profound that happened next. Did you notice what she did? She left her water jar, literally distracted from the task at hand of gathering water. But you see the picture that that is? She's not going back to those old wells anymore. Jesus has met her right where the need is in her heart. Praise God. She left her water jar and then went into her city. And as she goes into her city, it says the city now was coming out. These Samaritans are coming out of the city. And the disciples, meanwhile, have gotten back, and they're all worried about Jesus eating. Like, who brought him food? Did you, have you eaten anything, Jesus? Did you, I thought you were gonna bring him food. I didn't bring him food, you were gonna bring him food. And Jesus says, no, you're, you're missing something way bigger than food. He says this, he says, look, the fields are white with harvest. Now remember, there's crowds coming out of the city to him. He says, the fields are white with harvest. Now in that region, some of the main harvests are things like barley and wheat. And so I was wondering, what does he mean white with harvest? Like does the grain turn white? Neither barley nor wheat turns white. It goes from green to like golden brown. That's, it doesn't like, it doesn't like blossom with flowers or anything and turn white. So what is Jesus meaning? Uh, many scholars believe, and I find this very convincing, that what Jesus is referring to is the Samaritans. Because Samaritans, the Samaritan men in particular, they wore white robes. That's how they dressed. That would have been one of the reasons she knew that Jesus was a Jewish man, not a Samaritan man. 
And so there's this sea of white coming out of the city, all of these white robes coming out of the city. And here are these disciples who begrudgingly went in to find food and wanted to get out as soon as possible. And he says, look, see, there's a, there's, the fields are white with harvest. Don't you see the harvest are these Samaritans in this city? This city you went into and got out of as fast as possible. That's where the harvest is coming from. Don't you see? Don't you see they're coming to hear the gospel? Don't you see that they're coming to see the Messiah? The, the fields are white with harvest. He's adjusting their view of where the harvest is and where the harvest is going to be. See, here's something that Jesus shifted in this woman. This woman had an encounter with Jesus. And after that, she saw her city differently. In other words, this, if there's one key point that you could walk out of here with. If you're a note taker, write this down. If there's one key point you could walk out of here with, it's this. When you see Jesus as the Messiah, you see your city as a mission field. When you see Jesus as the Messiah, you see your city as a mission field. This may seem simple, this may seem basic, but this is so utterly profound. When you see Jesus as the one and only Messiah, as your Messiah, the Messiah that the world needs and is longing for and waiting for, the Messiah that changes everything in the universe, when you see Jesus as the Messiah, something shifts in how you see your city. You see your city as your mission field. See, so many of us, we see our city like the disciples saw the Samaritan city. We see the city as a necessary evil. I don't necessarily love the city, but it's where I find food. So I have my retreat that I wanna stay at. I'm gonna stay in my space with my friends and my neighborhood. And man, when I go into the city, I'm just gonna go, I'm gonna get my food and get out. The city's uncomfortable. I find people who are different than me believe differently than me, think differently than me. They have different religious views, di different theological views, different political views. It makes me uncomfortable. I don't feel safe. I, I, so I just retreat back to my house, my neighborhood, my friends, my church. I, I see the city as a necessary evil, but Jesus is shifting their, the disciples' view of the city. He says, lift up your eyes, see it, behold the harvest, see the city differently. He says, disciples, you went in there and got out. You're, you're my ambassadors for the gospel. And you ran into the city and ran out like, Phew, all right, Jesus here. You want your food or not? He says, lift up your eyes, see it differently. This is where the harvest is. So often we do the same thing the disciples do. Maybe for some of you, you've, you, you're like, okay, I've lived down here much of my life, but man, as soon as I retire, I'm just gonna get out of here, someplace more comfortable for me. The city's a necessary evil. Others of you say, man, I've been transferred down here and, and you know, I'm gonna be here for two years or three years or four years, but as soon as I can get out of here, the better. I'm just gonna get here, I'm gonna try and thrive, try and survive, I'm gonna make bread for my family and then I'm out of here. Others of you say, hey, no, this is my home, but man, I, I don't necessarily love it. I don't necessarily ache for it. I mean, like, I, I, I like my, my space, my zone, but man, do I have a love for the city? I don't know that I love it. I like it, you know? I like, I like the weather, especially around November time. You know, I like that. 
But God is shifting something. He's saying, disciples, mathetes, Christians, lift up your eyes. Behold, look at the city. It's white with harvest. See the city differently. It's not a necessary evil. It's where the harvest is. It's your mission field. But for some, we have a view of the city. It's, it's like the, the Samaritan woman. The city is what she used to quench her thirst. She used it. She didn't dislike the city. She actually liked the city. But she liked it because she had something driving her inside. She was trying to find that relationship to give her significance. She was trying to find that significance, and she was going to use the city to get that significance in her life. But when she encountered Jesus as the Messiah... It shifted everything in how she viewed the city. She left the jar, her pursuit of significance, and she went into the city with one message. You've got to hear the one. Her whole whole interaction with the city, her whole relationship with the city was different. It wasn't any longer to, to, hey, I've got this thirst. How How can I use the city to satisfy it? It was, you've got to meet Jesus. Her relationship to the city shifted. She saw the city differently. She could never unsee it like that. See, so many see the same. No, I'm talking about, I love South Florida. I love South Florida because I've got this thirst to find significance, to find success. And I use the city to get that. But if you encounter Jesus as your Messiah, it shifts everything. I want to share with you two stories today, two brief stories And the first one, they're both South Florida stories. The first one is a story of a man who has a very, an an encounter here in South Florida, much like the Samaritan woman. And I want you to see, his name is David. I want you to see what happened when he encountered Jesus and it shifted everything in his life. He started looking for how to satisfy that thirst deep down. But when it was satisfied in Jesus, it shifted his entire life. I want you to check out this story. Before Jesus, I was empty, looking for love and acceptance in all the wrong places. To me, going to church was going to listen to judgmental people, talking about a God who is loving and good, but I didn't see it in their lives. One day, while attending a wedding, everything changed for me. I felt a love, a warmth that I had been longing for my whole life. Something I now know was the presence of God making himself known. I began to pursue him. And later, during a Sunday service, I confessed and acknowledged I was a sinner in need of a savior and invited Jesus to be Lord of my life. When I look back on my life now, I see how God spared me, how he blessed me with a marriage, four kids, and a family. I want the fruit of my life to be a direct reflection of the God that saved me. For me, that looks a lot like serving others. For my job, I repair commercial coffee, water, and ice equipment. And I pray daily to God to prepare my heart for the mission field that I've been given through my work. As I drew closer to God, I felt him telling me as I read his word that I am emulating the actions of Jesus washing of the disciples' feet through cleaning the machines for my clients. We are called to follow Jesus' example, whether in our backyard, our jobs, 
families, or overseas. There are many ways I've seen God move through me as I've lived in surrender. I had learned that there are times God refreshes us when we refresh others. If I had one encouragement for anyone, it's to be comfortable with being uncomfortable. We learn and grow by stretching ourselves outside of our safe space. And there is a world out there looking for a glimpse of Jesus. We have an opportunity to bring hope to dark places. Shining the light of Jesus starts with us. I love that story of David. Here's what I love. I love hearing the story of a life who was searching for that significance, that relationship, and when he found it in Jesus, do you see what happened? His life shifted. It was different after that. What does the Bible say? It says, it says that when we encounter Jesus, what Jesus says is it's like you're born again. You become a new creation. You see your life different than you did before. And notice what he said. He says what his job is. He goes every day. He cleans these industrial machines, and he cleans them, and he fixes them. And he said, look, I now wake up every day, and my prayer is, look, I get an opportunity to serve my customers. He's not using customers. He's serving them like Jesus washed feet. He's walking in the footsteps of Jesus. Imagine if every single Christian in South Florida went to work like that every day. Imagine if every single Christian in South Florida didn't treat an encounter like Jesus as if it was like life insurance for eternity. Well, I've, you know, yeah, I know Jesus is my savior. I got that. And, you know, I got to pay that premium a few times a year. I drop in a church and I, I kinda, that's how I kind of make sure I'm keeping that fresh and I pray sometimes. But no, no, they, what if they had an encounter and everything was different after that? And it wasn't just that their Sunday practice was shifted. It wasn't just like, well, I used to play golf on Sunday. I used to sleep in on Sunday, but now I, now I go to church. It wasn't just that Sunday was transformed. It was Monday was transformed. Tuesday was transformed. Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday, Sunday. Every single day, every single hour, every single minute was transformed and brought under the kingship of Jesus Christ. Imagine if the church of South Florida was awakened to that. What does the scripture say? Can I read this to you? Ephesians 2, 8, 9. It says, for by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not your own doing. It is a gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast. What is it saying? You've been given this gift of salvation. You and I were on a path to an eternity away from God, and as a gift, he's given us this salvation. What do we say? Okay, well, that's great. Thank you. I've got salvation. Now I'm going to go, go about living my life the way it was, living it, having the goals the way it was, living my work with my, my own pursuits the way it was. No, listen to the very next verse. Verse 10. For we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. Christian, when he saved you, he recreated you. You're something new. And he has a work for you to do that he prepared a trillion years ago. 
He has in mind something he wants you to do with your life. Lift up your eyes and see your mission field. You say, what does that mean? Am I supposed to quit my job? Am I supposed to, you know, become a pastor or go on the mission field or start a nonprofit? For almost every single one of us, the answer to that is no. It's see your city differently and wake up tomorrow different. I want to share one more story. It's Greg's story. And I want you to hear that he had a shift in his life where he saw his every, it wasn't just Sunday he saw differently. It was Monday he saw differently. Check out this story. I work for a family-owned company. They uh, provide decorative panels for the furniture industry, primarily imported products and sold all over the U.S. I oversee operations. We deal with trucking, importing, export out of the ports. We manufacture building material products and service retail, industrial, and construction industries. I'm originally from Brazil which is the largest uh, tropical forest in the world, often called the, the lungs of the world. It was very convicting for me to go back and consume that good. Really, God created these natural resources for us. It's for us to be good stewards and good managers and serve and take care of that. Uh, now we're not to waste it, we're not to be wise with it. So I remember a distinctive moment in my career when the weight and the responsibility of being a disciple of Christ didn't belong just in the four walls of the church, but also in the work environment. Genesis talks about the fact that God made us in his own image. And if you stop and think about that and the burden that that carries um, and the dignity that they deserve, not just from a compensation standpoint, but from a work environment, taking the approach of um, the Son of Man came to, not to be served, but to serve. And I know that uh, Christ calls us to, do, to have an impact in our community, and there's no better place for you to serve than right there where you are. It seems like it's a no-brainer to treat humans like they were made an image of God, but there are days that the enemy wins, you know? There are days that uh, you forget why you're there to begin with. You, you forget why God put you there, and you have to be really intentional about it. You gotta come in with that mindset that today I'm gonna make some headway. Uh, I'm gonna get to know somebody. I'm gonna hear uh, their stories. You're there for a reason. You weren't put there just to provide for your family. Also, you, you have a mission field right there. So grateful for Greg's testimony. He had a moment where he realized, look, it's not just my faith on Sunday. I, this is my mission field all throughout the week. It's shaped how he thought differently. I thought differently about people, how he thought differently about Man, every single person is made in the image of God. There's a dignity, there's a love, there's a way I can serve. 
Can you imagine if every single Christian in South Florida went to work tomorrow so convicted that every single person is made in God's image? It's a child that's being called to reconcile with their heavenly father. Can you imagine the work and the move that would sweep through our city? South Florida is one of the most influential regions in our hemisphere, in the entire Western hemisphere. What happens in South Florida reverberates through the Caribbean, reverberates through North America, reverberates through Central and South America. Can you think of what could happen if God lit South Florida on fire for the gospel? You know, there are tens of thousands of Christians in South Florida already. Tens of thousands of Christians. There's a sleeping giant in South Florida. Can you imagine what could happen if God ignited a work in South Florida that awakened the church to realize there's a mission field to walk in every single day? When they just go to work, when they go work at school, when they engage their neighbors, can you imagine what God might do? Well, it starts with an encounter with the Messiah. It starts by seeing the city as not something I use to satisfy this deep craving. It starts when I realize that the Messiah, the great I am, is sitting beside the well waiting to meet with you. He sees you. He knows you. He loves you. He's encountering you. And he's calling you. He's sending you like he sent Moses back to Pharaoh, like he sent the Samaritan woman back into her city. He's sending you back into your neighborhood, back into your extended family, back into your friend group, back to work, back into the city. He's sending you on mission with the message and the presence of Jesus. What might happen if we together as the church of South Florida answered that call? Would you take a moment and bow your head and close your eyes with me? Some of you, I believe today is a burning bush moment for you, like Moses. For some of you, it's you've known Jesus, but you've never known that Jesus has a mission for you. You're a missionary. And today you need to start answering the call and let him send you into your city. Would you respond to that now? Others of you, it's, a, it's an at the well moment and maybe you're even seeing how so many parts of your life have been orchestrated for this moment. I believe there are some that are sitting here, maybe some in Cooper City, some watching online and you say, look, I'm, I don't know how he could have orchestrated the events of my life like he did leading to this moment, but I'm realizing Jesus is my Messiah. I've known about Jesus, but he is my Messiah. I want to follow him today. Receive him today. If that's you, let me lead you in this prayer. Just simply say this silently in your seat, just right there or watching online or here or Cooper City, just silently say, Jesus, thank you for saving me. 
thank you for knowing me. Thank you for coming to rescue me. I surrender to you. Thanks for listening. For more resources and to check out other teaching series, please visit our website at cityrev.org. If you would like to speak to somebody about beginning a relationship with Jesus or ask any questions you have about this teaching, you can email us at podcast at cityrev.org.